Hi, I'm Heidi Harriet. Welcome to Doggone Good Information. And also welcome my co-host, Tommy Fahey. Hi, Tommy. Hi, Heidi. How are you today? Terrific. Terrific. I uh, My birthday was yesterday, and I'm, I'm a low-key birthday person. I don't need the week or the month off or anything like that. And as it turned out, I was home alone. My husband's actually visiting the kids, but... That was all the birthday present I needed. So uh, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> feeling, yourself. yeah, I'm feeling great today because I got caught up actually on a lot of computer stuff and uh, even did a little uh, wedding dress Zoom with my daughter. So couldn't have been a better day. So fantastic! I'm feeling good and ready to go and really excited about our topic. We alluded to it in either the last or the one before that podcast and decided to go forward with it, which is the, the the diet for your dog and this raw diet that's become such a buzzword and so popular. So I am really looking forward to getting into that. We've both done some homework on it and uh, think it's just something we want to talk about and put out there, give people There's some more information. There's a lot to unpack there. Boy, you said a mouthful there. Absolutely. Um, so anything exciting happened for you in the last week? Oh, I've just been busy with work and training and, uh, seeing a lot of horses this time of year. We've got great weather here in Missouri. So I've been super, super busy. Um, and then I think I talked about on the last, uh, podcast, I was dog sitting for a friend of mine. Um, I think that was right before we recorded the last episode and then I watched the dog, uh, for them again, just overnight here uh, a few days ago. Uh, and it's really funny to watch the interactions between the two dogs. Um, I have Jimmy Dean, the Jack Russell. I talk about him all the time, of course. Um, and then they have Dylan, who's a kind of a mixed breed, maybe 20 pound or so, uh, little female dog. Um, they're, she's a little bit bigger than him, but it's so funny. They get along really well, but they also just ignore each other. Oh yeah. They're, yeah. They're just doing their own thing. So they're a really fun dynamic. Uh, but it puts into play all of the sort of trainer tips that we talk about yeah. on this podcast um, and sort of test my uh, ability for care and management. Um, everything from letting them out in the backyard, making mm-hmm. sure they don't just rush out the door. Um, you know, we've, I've talked about having a skunk in my backyard before, so I got to check the backyard make sure there's no skunks going on. Um, and then also feeding, like, uh, what we're going to talk about on the episode today, but, uh, they have different diets. They're on different foods. So I have to keep them separate when they eat and make yeah. sure that they both finish their ration. And then, um, so it's kind of fun to put into, into practice all of the things that you and I get to talk about. Yeah, for sure. I'm dog sitting as well. A little three pound Maltese. Who's a little princess. Oh, she's, and my dog, a trooper, is only six, seven pounds. She's half his size. But the same thing, he kind of pays attention to her and he doesn't, you know. And uh, she's very vocal and opinionated. She's a doll. But um, she's just, you know, likes to bark. And I I just, quit. And she stops. And she (laughs) looks at me like, Wait a minute. They don't tell me not to bark. I'm allowed to bark. I'm yeah. like, not my house. You're not. <laughs> Who, who's in charge here? Yeah. But she's they didn't pretty, tell you? She's pretty cute. Yeah. So um, I came across a story this week that I just thought was so funny. I get these dog alerts and a lot of scary and sad stories um, about yeah. 
you know, um, either hoarders who get caught with animals and they haven't taken care of them. And then, um, you know, aggressive animals. And then just, you, you like to see the good stories. Well, this is kind of an interesting story. So a mare in a small town in France <laughs> is requiring dogs to have passports. And what that means okay. is their DNA gets traced and they carry this card so that because he was very frustrated with the lack of picking up poop in his little town. So ah. the DNA, when, <laughs> I don't know who's going to fund this, but when they pick <laughs> up the poop, they can actually get into their poop and analyze it and trace it to a particular right. dog. I think that's hysterical. Yeah. So <laughs> I love it because I absolutely despise that people don't pick up their manure, you know. Yeah. Take I'm responsibility. Uh, I, you might find this interesting, but I'm using a dog park regularly at this point. And oh. I'm not a fan of dog parks, and I worry about the parasite and all that. But I'm at yeah. a campground. I'm doing a freelance job at, down in Sarasota, Florida. And um, part of it is I park at a beautiful campground. You're not allowed to have your dogs off a leash. I mean, they're really serious about it. And again, I'm really okay with that <clears throat> because... Yeah. I don't want, there are people there with dogs that worry me a bit and, you know, oh, well, he's really friendly, you know, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm fine that they have to keep their dog on a leash. But I have Otis, who's the, uh, my other dog, who's three years old, who came from the hoarding situation. So mm -hmm. I am a dog trainer and I could have done better with this, but I got busy and my yard is fenced in. So Otis doesn't go poop on the leash. And you can wait him out, all that kind of thing. But I'm just checked on time right now. And there's a dog park very close to me. And it's quite nice. And there's usually not many dogs in it. But I am amazed at how many people don't pick up the poop. It really disturbs me. So maybe I will start a passport program. <laughs> we will be <laughs> pulling DNA from people's dogs so we can analyze the poo. But I just... I thought that story in France was funny. I mean, I completely appreciate it. I don't see how he pulls it off, but I'm going to have yeah, to follow that I don't know where the funding's one. coming from, but yeah. it might make people take responsibility for the, the pets that they have. Yeah, maybe it's kind of a funny enough or, you know, story that people will take notice and say, well, maybe I should. I will say at the campground, one of the things I see in... This surprised me because I'm usually not out in these scenarios with my dogs. I, I avoid that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, like walking in busy areas or that, but I have to at this point. Um, and it, it is, oh, it is good for Otis, the big dog. The trooper could care less, you know, but they, they send the kids or the tweeners with the dog and you could just see it like, hey, you know, Joey, take the dog out. We got to take the dog out. Cause again, you got to walk the dog. You can't put him in your backyard loose. Well, the kids aren't real keen to pick up the poop. So I've seen that in the dog park a few times. And, yeah, you know, so I wonder if that's a part of it. But anyhow, so if you do send your teens or your tweeners or smaller kids out with your dog, be sure and help them understand the importance of picking up the poo. Because <laughs> that is a big deal. I hate dog poo laying around. Deal. Yeah. Yeah. So... All right. Well, Tommy, let's just get right into this because I'm excited about this topic and I know we've got a pretty good amount of information. So yeah, I'm, there's a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. I'm Heidi Harriet. This is Tommy Fahey with some doggone good information. And we will be talking about 
particularly the raw diets, but your food, your dog food and what you feed them. So, Tommy, I will let you get us started on this. Yeah, so let's start with a little uh, history of the dog food industry and kind of where it came from and, uh, Great. you know, put a little definition on what we're talking about. Um, so the commercial dog food industry has been around uh, actually since the 1860s. Um, so there was a, uh, it's called Spratt's Dog Cake, and it was kind of the original milk bone. Uh, so way back in in the 1860s, there was a guy that came up with this idea to make a little uh, dog food that was portable and, uh, you know, shelf stable kind of situation. So all the way back, uh, you know, more than 100 and how, how many years ago is that? A um, couple hundred. A couple hundred, uh, a little over uh, 150 yeah. years ago. Um, so then we move up to the 1900s and we got companies like Purina that started producing uh, other commercial dog food diets. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these were wet foods. They weren't what we think of as the dry kibble today. Was Purina um, one of the early, the forerunners in this? Yes. Uh, they're one of the early, uh, companies that came up with it. So they were, there was a lot of the canned dog food, um, yeah. type of diet. Um, and then you move up to the 1950s, um, and the extrusion process, uh, developed and extrusion is uh, taking food products, putting them in a high heat, high pressure situation, uh, which you know intensely cooks them, uh, and then they're formed into what we know today as modern dry kibble. Okay. Uh, so that was back into the 1950s. Then we get up to about the 1980s, and Hills, which is now Hills Science Diet. Uh, came up with the idea of uh, ailment-specific diets. So for dogs that had kidney issues or liver issues, those were kind of the original ones. Um, and that, that started back in the 80s. Now, modern times, we have a diet for everything. Yes. Um, <laughs> depending on what, what pet store you go to or what vet clinic you walk into. Um, I know from working in the vet clinic, we had... Um, the Hills products for a long time, which, uh, there were kidney diets, liver diets, um, <laughs> ingredient, uh, limited ingredient foods for dogs with food allergies. Yeah. That's a huge, huge thing uh, yeah. these days. Um, there were, uh, you know, weight balanced diets, yeah. like lower calorie, high fiber diets. Um, and that was for dogs and cats. Um, then you go into the pet food, uh, pet store side of things. Um, where it's not a prescription diet, it's just general commercial diets. And oh my goodness, there are a million uh, bagged dog foods to choose from. Yeah. Um, every shape, size, color. Um, I think it's Royal Canin has breed specific uh, dog foods. Wow. So you can go in and look down the aisle away and they have, they have the Jack Russell Terrier diet and they have the Rottweiler diet and they have... So it's, they're looking at actual breed specific. I don't know how they came up with yeah, that. Yeah, right that's that what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'd have to do a little uh, more research into that. But uh, And then you've got the uh, more organic or uh, wholesome, you know, uh, holistic sort of diets uh, that are marketed that way. Uh, so there's just a million things to, to sort through when you're looking at, at dog food diets. Uh, and I think... 
what happens is we get a little overwhelmed and a little confused and a little unsure of what all that means and, and what's right and what's good. And, um, and then now we have all of these sort of modern fad things, yeah. which one of the big ones we want to talk about is the, the raw, uh, food diet. Yeah. Um, and where did that come from and why is it such a big deal? Yeah, boy, so, that's a lot of great information. And, uh, the genesis of, of how we got here. I'm thinking back yeah. when I was a kid, well, we had so many animals, but my parents used a basic kibble dog food. We had, uh, my mom had a group of performing dogs. So she used a, a kibble dog food and then some wet food and a little bit of warm mm-hmm. water and made a mix for them. And um, that sufficed. And I still do something similar today. Old habits die hard. <laughs> Our animals lived long lives and... Uh, you know, yeah, it's working for you. I'm, I always say, uh, you've heard me say many times, I'm a simpleton. I, I don't overthink it. If I, you know, the, these raw diets, one of the things I came across is um, like uh, what, uh, what came to mind when I was researching this. Why are people doing it? Is, is it because they're unhappy with the, the diet they have for their dog? Is their dog... Um, not not have a good uh, manure or is it a you know something wrong with that mm-hmm. is their coat not in good shape are they not active enough are they overweight is there <clears throat> excuse me some reason that they're doing it um or you know is it just being kind of put out there and marketed so heavily which it is crazy yeah uh that you're like well i don't want to miss out this is good for my dog that's the next best thing for my dog and of course, we get updates in science and uh, best practices, so this could be the right thing. I, I just think there's so much that comes along with it. So I kind of broke it down into the pros and cons, of, okay. you know, and questioning. And I'd love to hear from listeners why, if you are doing it, what what's the reason for doing it? Why did you switch completely or did you create a hybrid, you know, program, which I could almost see a little bit of raw diet with kibble. But yeah, I think the number one thing that I'm reading from the American Veterinary Medical Association, National Institute of Health, Canadian Veterinary Medical Association, is the concern about the um, the E. coli and salmonella. Mm-hmm. So animals tolerate it, right? So the animal might not get sick from something like that. They could go out and find a deer and and start munching on it, and maybe they wouldn't get sick, but their feces and everybody who comes in contact with it. If you're picking it up in the yard and you don't dispose of it properly and then, or they walk through it, their little pads get on it. And so now they're starting to spread this and it can get spread. So there's a big concern about what it can do to contaminate the household. And I, I, I would say that normally that would be like, well, what are the odds? I got salmonella from feral cats do exactly mm-hmm. that way. I never touched the cats, but they climbed all over everything. And there was one giant, there were 30 cats or so. Somebody thought they were doing something good. So they, more cats kept coming. The other cats told their buddies, hey, they're feeding us of over course. here. We got a good thing. Yeah, we had all Florida animal. sand. They had a giant litter box. Well, they jumped up on all the cans. And I uh-huh. was in the hospital for a week. I was really sick and... They, I, I think I told you this story. The first thing they asked, has a, had I eaten at the Chinese buffet? 
<laughs> that was the first question they asked me when they, I thought I had E. coli. I was totally, not that salmonella is good either, but I was, I was really afraid. But <clears throat> so I think that's a, a very legitimate concern. Um, and some of the other things that came up, it can be expensive. And are you doing it because you feel guilt? Are you guilted into it? You know, and if you have a family, kids, spouse, other people living in your house, are you are you are you taking a budget from them to buy this more expensive food? And what do you yeah. hope to gain out of it? Again, is your dog is there something your dog is missing? Um, but the biggest thing in all of this is um, you and your vet should really. You know, this should be something you run by a professional. This is a big change to do, to undertake. So, um, you know, a quick vet consult would probably be less than your first month of food by far. <laughs> For sure, yeah. And, you know. And some of these diets are, are extremely expensive. That would prohibit me. I mean, I'll do whatever I need to for my animals, but I have not been convinced over the years that, you know, more expensive is better. I do my homework on it. I'm a Purina person. And part of the reason is, and that's why I asked you about Purina, we traveled. I'm a third generation. So our family's mm -hmm. been traveling with animals back, uh, you know, many, many years. And it was the consistent food we could get for our animals throughout the country. Because in a lot of places, they were milling their own food, especially horse food, right? You didn't right. go buy packaged food as easily. We didn't have tractor supply. You know, yeah, um, there's no standard. Yeah. And my parents fed Purina and um, it's actually I tried a few different things for the the big dog and it's working very well. And it's a moderate price point and I'm quite happy with it. My little dog gets itchy with uh, so many things I've not experienced mm -hmm. this before. My multi-poo. Um, so I find Rachel Ray Nutrish is the magic bullet for him. So it's a little, yeah, it is. It's a little annoying because I have to have two bags of food and it's against my, yeah. my protocols, but, um, so that works for him, but, and I don't know for sure that the Purina caused an itching problem, but I'm just trying to, you know, you just pulse one thing away and see how it works. Exactly. But yeah. He has had itching problems with food, which is a new thing to me. So. It's a really, really common thing in allergies. the veterinary world. Aller food allergies are probably, um, especially with the popularity of the poodle crosses, the doodles. Well, yeah. Um, they have a lot of uh, issues with that. Um, and it's kind of a joke in the veterinary world. Uh, little white, small, fluffy dogs, um, white dogs specifically, uh, seem to be more prone to these issues. They oh, seem to be a well, lot more sensitive. Yeah. So, and he yeah. is a cross too, um, multi poo. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if it's the the coloration of the skin, the lack of pigment, maybe causes them to be more hypersensitive or or get more inflammation, that kind of thing. I'm not sure what it is. Yeah. Um, but it's pretty pretty common. Oh, interesting. Um, which is a, a big part of why some of these veterinary diets have been developed where they're limited ingredient. Yes. And, um, and I do appreciate that. You know, again, we've yeah. got more technology now and. Yeah. Um, and part of what they're doing with the limited ingredient is they're uh, limiting some of the fillers. Um, so fillers, meaning the, the cheaper uh, grain products and uh, mm -hmm. fiber products, starches, that kind of thing. 
Um, and then the other one they're looking at is uh, the protein in the food. Right. So a lot of times you're going to look at, um, is it a chicken based product or is it a beef based product or is it a fish based product? Right. Um, and so you can switch. Sometimes it doesn't have to be uh, limited ingredients so much as looking at the uh, main ingredient and switching away from that. Uh, so okay. You yeah. Look at that in the uh, what ingredient is actually in the variety of food that you are using. And if it's a chicken product, um, try something that's uh, maybe a beef product or maybe a, um, a fish based product. Yeah, that's interesting. So, you know, yeah. the, the raw diet, the other thing that and you and I kind of touched on this a bit in our last episode, the kibble. I mean, when I think raw diet, I'm thinking of like a, a carcass because I grew up around big cats as well. We didn't work mm-hmm. the big cats, but I was around them. So I'm thinking of a piece of the carcass that has been, you know, butchered and they get the bones and the meat, right? And all of that. So... The raw diets I've seen, and I haven't delved too far into these, don't have that piece of the the bone piece, right? So right. I'm concerned about the, the teeth and the need for the kibble or bones Correct. or whatever. Bones worry me a bit. Of course, the right bones can be fine. And then nutrition. You know, I, I have a saying with my horses and dogs that um, I believe the scientists know better than me what what needs to go in. And again, if it's very specific food for the active horse, food for the um, young horse, food for the underweight horse, food for the over and the dog, yeah. same thing. So I have found good success with that unless I had a specific issue that I needed to add the supplement for. So I did read in, in these same um, articles I was looking at that they're concer- concerned about nu- complete nutrition right mm-hmm. in the in the raw foods and um and not all dogs tolerate it well correct um and we talked about that um so and there are some people who are doing it because they don't believe they tolerate the other commercial foods well so they're trying the raw diet yeah i think it's um i don't know too many people that really have a a great understanding of human nutrition and Amen. Think, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> well <that's>, said. <laughs> I think that's a really interesting concept when we, we start thinking about these diets. Yeah, um, that's pretty I, funny. I, was, I, I like that. Yeah, it really, I mean, a lot of people don't understand, uh, you know, basic human health class from uh, high school. They just, they didn't get that uh, course that day. But yet they're um, experts with their horse, with the 25 supplements or their dog, right? They, yes. Now they become a, uh, they're in their <laughs> like little scientist, you know, putting in their little ingredients and that makes and it even funnier. Yeah. Things. And, and really, I think a lot of times, especially with the commercial diets that have specialized, uh, you know, nutrition and everything is that people are tinkering with things that don't really know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, so they're putting in different, you know, different volumes of this or that, and then supplementing. And when actually you could probably just buy a product that's specifically made for what you're doing. Yeah. Um, and it will save you a significant amount of money in the long, in the long and run. And the time. Yes. Yeah. So I can, I can totally understand where people are going with wanting to have, you know, maybe fresh ingredients, maybe, yeah. uh, you know, dogs are omnivores, so they're going to eat vegetables 
um, as well as meat. Um, that's another thing that a lot of people don't understand. Uh, I'll tell you the story. When I was working at the vet clinic, um, we had a, a new client call in and I happened to be the receptionist that day. And he tells me on the phone that he has a wolf. <laughs> oh boy. I know I where this is going. <laughs> really? You have a wolf. And he says, yes. Uh, cause I had asked him what, what breed is your dog? And he said, wolf. And I said, but is it? <laughs> I don't think it is. And you haven't even so, seen the dog yet, right? <laughs> I haven't seen the dog. I don't know this person. Um, so we schedule in the appointment. You know, I, I asked all the pertinent questions. Is it uh, aggressive or anything like But that? is it? <laughs> uh, but is it a wolf? Because I don't think so. Oh, so boy. the guy gets there and he's younger, maybe late teens, early 20s. Um, first time into the clinic and on the day of his appointment, I happened to be the technician working with the vet. So I also did his intake and new paperwork and all of that. So I'm in talking with him and, uh, I'm asking him, you know, about how long he's had the dog and, and what are the, excuse me, the wolf, Yeah. how long has he had his wolf? Uh, the dog was basically a Husky cross of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I ask him, I always ask, you know, what are you feeding? And he said, oh, raw beef. Oh. And I said, really? How's how's that going for you? Well, he's got terrible diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> I said, have you considered maybe switching to a, a dry kibble, a commercial diet? You know, we were at the time, I think we were recommending Hill's uh, science diet. And he said, no, 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 no. This is a wolf. I have to feed him what he would eat in the wild. I have to feed him this raw diet of raw beef. Oh my God. And I thought this kid has no idea what a wild dog would eat, you know, in, in a real natural circumstance, what would they actually eat? Yeah. It's not just raw beef that you went, they're not walking into the grocery store, picking up, uh, you know, pre butchered beef. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and eating that. No, 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 no. Um, so oh, God I think bless that's, that's maybe a little extreme on the misunderstanding nutrition scale. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's funny how many times that kind of thing uh, yeah, happens. I know it. <laughs> you know, we have this sort of Disney-fied uh, idea of how animals function in the wild or what, what is actually natural for them. Yeah. Um, which goes to another point is that most domesticated animals, most pets are overweight. So yeah. what we think we're feeding them, what we think we're doing to be healthy, we're actually making them severely <laughs> obese. Uh, so we have a kind of a, a big problem with understanding um, what is actually good nutrition for our animals and honestly for ourselves. Yeah. Um, that's a great that point. Honestly, as well. So, yeah. And, and so I, I mentioned some of the, what were the, I, my pro and con list. The the pro list is short, but people cite weight loss. Their dog stays in better shape, um, better energy, and a really nice coat. And I can yes. appreciate, appreciate that. Different times. I also think it could be a bit cyclical with animals that their coats are better at um, times than others. Sometimes it's related to the food, sometimes not, but. It's certainly Shedding something, season. yeah, something I would look yeah. at. Um, depends on the hair, the length of the hair of the dog, but certainly on a horse, 
were looking at their coat for a sleek, shiny coat to mm-hmm. tell how their nutrition and, and grooming is going. Um, so it, it, the wolf story is perfect because this is a bit over my head, I will be honest. But in one of the articles I was reading about is uh, phenotype, 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 and, phenotype, and yeah. genotypes, right? That yeah. people say we have wolves. They descended from the wolves, right? But the... Yeah. Um, Oh, shoot, I thought I had the source of this, um, was that uh, there are, let's see, they concluded that uh, the genetic differences, the genomes, uh, there are 10 which play a critical role that are completely different in the wolves and domestic dogs that, okay. that play a role in starch digestion and fat metabolism. Yes. So, and what the article had said earlier in the article as, as our dogs have become domesticated, nature is amazing because it has created uh, different scenarios which actually show up when they, when they check uh, these type of things that they've, they've pivoted, they've altered. So to yeah. allow them so to... So that's again, I think the average person maybe doesn't truly understand domestication of animals, Yeah, uh, specifically dogs. Uh, we didn't domesticate them yesterday this has been ongoing for thousands of years. Right. Correct. And I think there's maybe a misconception that it's, it's, uh, happened much quicker. No, this, the separation from our domesticated dogs from the wolves was thousands of years ago. We've had domesticated dogs for a very long time. Yeah. Um, so they've, they've learned and acclimated, um, and become accustomed to living amongst the people and, you know, up until we talked about the, the history of the commercial dog food industry, but uh, before that they were eating scraps and uh, things that were offered by the, the humans in their communities. Um, so they're not out hunting a wild deer or scavenging for, you know, dead carcasses and that kind of thing. Well, right. Yeah, um, exactly. And apparently like these wild diets, what does that mean? Is it, is it, um, domestic or wild um meat you know yeah. like what what the raw diets do you know if they're made up more of one than the other or so th- that becomes a question of what's accessible mm. um so if you if you're like me in southwest missouri i'm not going to be able to get exotic meats just readily available at my right. local store um so even some some of the processed dog foods um, are harder to come by. There are there are a lot of um, what they call exotic proteins. Um, so again, you're going into that limited ingredient type of food where you're trying to maybe uh, curve some uh, inflammation, some skin issues, some ear infections, yeah. ear gland issues. Um, so there's a lot of uh, maybe they're using rabbit or they're using lamb or they're using um, you know, something that we don't oh, have okay. as commonly here in, in, uh, the Midwest. Um, so is it exotic meaning, uh, is it from Africa? No, yeah. it, it's well, just a little less, uh, common, I would say. But we do, um, we go, we go through that with legislation, define exotic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I wonder if they get gator bites in Florida. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> I wonder if that is part of the raw diet in Florida. It is for the people. <laughs> for sure, yeah. 
Interesting. So I think this is um, a good time to talk about definitions of what are we talking about when it comes to animal nutrition and, yeah. and who regulates this? What, you know, what is this? What are we talking about? Um, so we have AFCO. Yes. I, which is the, the Association of American Feed Control Officials. Mm-hmm. So you can find their website. It's aafco.org um and what is this this is a nonprofit organization made up um of experts in the field of nutrition um and they advise our state and national uh legislatures on regulating this industry yeah they are setting the standard for how we talk about commercial animal nutrition. So they do three things. Uh, They have unified ingredient definitions. So when you look at the actual ingredient label on a commercial dog food, there are are specific definitions to what is written there. So if it says byproduct or meal or things like that, there are definitions that AFCO has developed for that. Uh, They also have set label standards, meaning when you buy that commercial dog food, there is a standard label that has to be put on every single bag. And it has a lot of, of different things that are involved that are uh, regulated, but uh, the address of the manufacturer, uh, the list of ingredients, and then for different diets, it's going to change a little bit, but the minimum and maximum proteins, um, things like that, you're going to see all of that regulated. That comes from AFCO. And then the last thing they provide is laboratory guidance. So they are setting the industry standard when it comes to the laboratories that are testing these ingredients and testing these feeds um, and testing all of the processes that go into this. So they're, they're the overall governing body more or less that sets the standard in this industry. Yeah. Um, So their website has just an extensive amount of information. I agree. I went there independent of you saying that I was also on that and um, found that to be helpful. One of the things I thought was interesting, I came across this Hills Science Diet. Is it Mm -hmm. AFCO approved? And Hills suggests to consumers that the associate that AFCO verifies pet foods are complete and balanced. It's not true. They do not verify that they they don't have regulatory authority. To your point, they they yeah. they um, the labels and that type of thing, but the food itself is not like approved. That's yeah. that's a marketing ploy. So they got they got their wrist slapped for that that one. Yeah, <laughs> um, Afco itself does not uh, approve or endorse or anything when it comes to that. Right. What they do is they set the standard that every other company has to fall under. The consistent Um, labeling and such, yeah. Yeah, and they set those recommendations that then the uh, state and national level uh, puts into their regulations when it comes to these labels. Um, I'm curious how many people actually read the label. I'm a label reader. Like, um, I'm, I'm also a horse trainer, as you know, and I've gone into equestrian theaters, taken over as the head trainer. And the first thing I do is look at the, what the horses are eating. I got to mm-hmm. one place and the horses were on a corn, uh, the feed had a lot of corn and the horses were all pretty hot and feisty. Yep. Arabians. 
I was like, I'm not a vet. So I got the vet in. I had my thought about it, but the vet said the same thing. So I was on the right track. But um, I'm a label reader with my horses and dogs. Like how much are they supposed to get? And so I think people might be missing a resource right there, you know. Um, if, especially if you get a different food, it might be a different, if your dog is going on a diet or your dog has some problem and you've changed food, be sure and read the recommendation because it might not be the same cup full or whatever it was you were using. So be mindful of that. Yeah, We compare this in kind of apples to oranges when you're looking at the different kinds of dog foods and not only, uh, from maybe if you switch brands, but even a variety within the same within brand. the brand, absolutely, yeah, yeah. You have to look. They're all uh, regu- They're all formulated for specific reasons, absolutely. So, um, I have my dog on a, a high fiber, uh, low calorie food, and the reason I did that is that one, it, it doesn't have corn in it. He's allergic to corn, so I went with that particular kind. And then two, the high fiber uh, bulks up his bowel movements. So it expresses his anal glands because he has an anal gland issue. Oh, somehow I thought so, that was coming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's important. Get, it's important. Not to get too graphic, but yeah. um, it takes care of those issues. Good. Um, but if I buy the same brand and the label looks very similar, and in fact, they have similar colors on some of the packaging, I have to really be careful which one I purchase. Yeah. Uh, because it can be very similar looking, but actually their ingredients are completely different. And it, maybe it ha- has a higher, higher uh, caloric density, so more calories per pound. Yeah. Uh, or maybe it's a lot lower fiber or maybe a lot higher protein. It, it can change all kinds of different things just going from one variety of food to a different. Um, so it's not just he gets one cup of kibble you have to really look at the label and say, what is recommended for this dog at this stage of life Yeah, at his current weight? Uh, do you want him to lose weight or gain weight depending on, you know, their body condition score and that. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot that goes into understanding what you're actually feeding your dog. How many people at the vet clinic, how often was uh, the conversation about let's change a dog's food? Would What would you think the percentage might be? I would say we discussed food and diet in every single mm-hmm. annual appointment. Um, it was part of the protocol to discuss what the, they were getting. The vast majority of the dogs were overweight. So then we started talking about, you know, what are you feeding? How much are you feeding? Um so pretty much anything that wasn't a, an acute injury or illness, probably there was a discussion of diet. Well, how often um, do you think the food may have changed, like the type of food or that? that how often was that indicated if you had an idea? Um, probably not terribly often the type of food, more the volume. The volume, that's what I'm thinking, yeah. Right. Yeah. We, um, we were given, um, one cup measuring cups from Hills science diet that they, it was just freebies that they would give away. And that was something that was included in about every annual visit was here's an actual measuring cup. Cause what happens is 
uh, I think of the horse feed, the old coffee can. Oh, well, yeah. I give him one coffee can <laughs> of this. One can of or feed. Say, I give him one scoop of that. Well, what is a scoop? Right. Define and then you that. go feed their horses for them. And there's five cans and four scoops. And it's exactly. like, okay, I wonder which one. They're all different sizes. You never know what they're doing. My dog food is a little bit like that, but I now have a consistent cup because my husband feeds a lot. Yeah, um, with this job I have, so I I I've made it more consistent. <laughs> so yeah, so it's not necessarily about uh, having an exact measurement as much as knowing uh, the consistency of that measurement. Yeah, you know, are you giving more? Are you when and even person to person in the family? When I give a cup, am I measuring to the line or exactly. am I overflowing it? Yeah, or am I underfilling it by a little bit? <laughs> so. A lot of yeah, nuances there. a lot there. of discussions of that. And then the really the biggest thing um, that overweight, we had issues with overweight animals, yeah. was that people forget that when they're giving table scraps table or they're scraps. giving treat um, or, you know, they walk to the refrigerator and get a slice of cheese and so they give the dog a slice of cheese. Well, you have to remember. That all factors in. Yeah. So I'm uh, 200 pounds my dog is 15 pounds, one slice of cheese to me, not so big of a deal. An entire slice of cheese to Jimmy Dean, that is more than his calories needed for most of the day. Yes, absolutely. Um, So uh, the percentage of their weight you have to kind of consider when you're feeding that. Um, So oftentimes we would recommend, uh, you know, doing, instead of giving uh, commercial treats or high fat, um, cheeses or peanut butter or, you know, things like that. It was give frozen vegetables, Mm. get some frozen peas. A lot of dogs love, uh, the crunch of the, the frozen, uh, things, green beans. That's a a great idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you just start treating them with that carrots, high fiber. I, Uh, I, I'll be very honest. I still have a hard time getting my head around, vegetables for dogs because again animal training family and just wasn't even heard of when i was young and um old habits die hard and i haven't tried it with my animals i need to although they did eat my salad that i left on the counter the other day all of it they ate all of it (laughs) (laughs) i came i was telling people at work well we'll see if the salad survives no (laughs) they got it all so that day they did get vegetables (laughs) there you go so i i love the frozen it's so hot right now we're in florida i'm in florida um i I like that idea it's it could be uh something interesting so and i hear a lot about pumpkin as well um yeah pumpkin is a good uh, fiber supplement yeah so um i i think i said this on the last episode but i just have to say it because i think it's so funny you mentioned like they they have changed as the, you know, as the, as we progress, they've changed the feeds to take out some of the uh, cereal or the filler or that, right? Mm. And years ago, David Letterman, the talk show host and comedian said, may, it was probably 30 years ago. My, well, Alpo said today they came out with a new food and it doesn't have a speck of cereal in it. Now my dog, Skippy, spends a day drinking out of the toilet bowl and eating out of the garbage. <laughs> Chances are he doesn't mind a speck of cereal. <laughs> A little bit's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. So back to the raw diet. What's, what's your wrap up on that? What, I mean, what do you, 
you know. So I think what most people think of as the raw diet, I think they're thinking of raw meat products. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and that is just asking for a world of problems with food contamination, with food storage, and with price. I mean, yeah. meat is expensive. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's probably a, a very misunderstood idea. Now, adding, like I said, adding vegetables into their diet, adding, you know, you have your dry kibble as your base and then add in some other variety things when you have them on hand. Great. Um, yeah. But I, I think going completely to the raw diet, you're you're risking food contamination. Uh, you're risking accessibility. Um, and then you're really risking nutritional balance. Exactly. That's the big one. Do you, do you understand a, di- a dog's dietary needs enough to create a balanced diet for them? Yeah. Um, and I'm sure I don't. And I have a degree in animal science. So if I don't, I'm sure the average person who hasn't yeah. studied this probably doesn't understand it very well either. Yeah. I think you need to meet with your vet and, um, you know, just make that appointment and, and one, go in there armed with the information about why you feel a change is in order. What are you trying to Mm -hmm. accomplish? Um, is it just, you saw the raw diet and said, Oh, my dog would love that. Well, he may love it, but he doesn't necessarily need it. And it may not be the best thing for him. We get, we get much too emotional. One of the last things I wrote down is, you know, be, I'm all about practicality. I don't allow a lot of emotion when I'm making decisions for my animals. I'm very emotional about my animals. I love my animals, but I've learned um, that emotion isn't helping me make good decisions and focus on best practices, what's in the best interest of the animal. So this this raw diet, I got an email from an organization that's doing trainings for online online trainings and um, I shared it with you and Mm -hmm. right out of the gate it was disease-ridden meat decomposed carcasses tumorous meat it's like scare tactic and I'm not telling you none of that stuff that stuff might not happen on some occasion I have to have some faith in our regulatory bodies but above and beyond that it's just it's the shock and awe to sell your product I just do not agree with that I'm, I you just, know what uh, that makes me think of? Because um, that's been a big thing here in the last uh, couple of years is the, this sort of shock and awe of uh, the raw diet and all of that. But yeah. I think back, there was a, a big story. That, I don't know timeline-wise when it was, but the Hershey Chocolate Factory had, there was a big story about roaches in the chocolate. Mm. And then they're we not almonds. Into it. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Apparently not. <laughs> I'm sorry, country. Hershey. I'm not trying to throw you under the bus. But, uh, you know, when you when you dive into that, well, yes, in a large manufacturing process, um, it's not going to be 100 percent pure and clean. Yeah. Nothing in this world is. Um, so there's a certain parts per million that is allowed uh, by law, by regulation, yeah. that we know that there's going to be some minor contamination that is not going to affect the general health of people. Uh, so that was a huge story, I don't know, probably 20, 30 years ago. But do you know what you can still buy 
Hershey's chocolate. Oh yeah. It's still available. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we didn't outlaw it because there's yeah. nothing wrong with it. Right. Right. Uh, and then the other one uh, that was just recently that uh, aspartame has come, they've, you know, yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It started out as Which, a total shock and you're going to die if you're drinking aspartame. And then right. now peel back the layers of that. I heard if like 14 drink, sodas a day or something to, or some crazy right. thing. If you just have one occasionally, if you drink diet Coke in moderation, you're probably fine. Yeah. Now, if you only drink Diet Coke and you've never had a glass of water in your life, you probably have a problem. Yeah. But, you know. But that's not diet. That's not the Diet Coke's problem. That's your exactly. problem. <laughs> exactly. So we need to approach so, our do- our animal food similarly. The and same way. Be practical about it. Get your emotion out of it. And it, m- more costly does not mean better either. I, that's no. one thing I know for certain. And. I kind of live and die on because I'm, it's not that I won't spend the money when I need to, but I, I feel very comfortable about the offerings out there. And again, think of the dogs at shelters. They're eating whatever gets dropped off and they're mm-hmm. not dying. You know, they're still there waiting to go home. Sadly, the, you know, overcrowded, but they're still there and they're eating whatever gets dropped off. So yeah. Think about those kind of stray dogs on the streets in other countries, which is epic, apparently, and they're surviving, you know, so don't, I would say, don't get too worked up about it. Get with your vet and figure out what's right for you guys. And um, don't fall prey to these fads. They're just not necessarily in the best interest of your animals or your family, for goodness sakes, the budget, you know, so yeah. Hopefully we've covered a covered a bit there, and um, we're, we're hoping to get somebody on from some of the dog food companies to talk about some of this as well. So, yeah, I think if we can make that happen, that was kind of a, a broad overlook of uh, you know general uh, canine diets, modern canine diets, and and that. But there's so much to understand when it comes to that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. do a little research. And if you're, time. if you're giving your dog a lot of table scraps, that's not a good thing. Absolutely no. not. I've never allowed my dogs to get table scraps and I do very little treats. So, yeah. um, so it's funny because nutritionally it's not great, but then you and I think of it as trainers. We don't give a lot of treats. Yeah. Um, so on, on multiple fronts, it's not a great idea. Right. I do love the like frozen vegetable, when I leave to go out and not leave a little bowl mm-hmm. of that, I think that would be ideal. It yeah. keeps them a little busy and it's not harmful in any way. So I'll get yeah. back to you on that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me know how it works. All right. So I think, again, I think that was a good overview with some information. Uh, Tommy, you have the pet peeve. What do you got for us? The pet peeve. <laughs> uh, so my pet peeve this week, um, we, you know, I like to do these broad things, nothing super specific. Um, we're in a, a time of um, society wants us to feel like we have to do the most. We have to do absolutely the most or we're, we're failures. So what I mean by that is people feel like they have to be, uh, you know, the most healthy. They have to have the perfect diet. They have to have the perfect routine and the same we feel like about our pets. We have to 
make sure that they have Uh. the most everything. They have to have the best toys and the best food and uh, you know, all of the extra things. And we've got to take them to the dog spa and we've got to take them to, you know, enrichment things. And, and, and we do that for ourselves. We do it for our pets. We do it for our children. Um, and that's a big pet peeve of mine is oftentimes you don't have to do the most. And because you're trying to do the most, you feel like a failure and you feel bad about yourself and you're, uh, you know, have a lot of emotions that, that kind of come out of that, where if you kind of pull back from that and separate yourself a little bit from the mainstream and the, the sort of social media look, um, yeah. and, and you're not comparing yourself to what you see in, in front of everybody else, uh, you can be a lot more settled and a lot more relaxed about your life. Um, and I hear this, I hear it a lot from my clients and as far as horse training, uh, side of things go, um, you know, they look at something on social media and they say, oh, so-and-so is out at this show or, you know, so-and-so's horse is doing so well at this particular thing. Well, what you're not seeing in that little 30 second clip that you just saw on Instagram is all of the work that went into developing that. Yeah. It's the same, you know, we see these clips of animals doing cute things or cute, um, you know, they have the perfect hair coat or they have the perfect whatever. What you're not seeing is all of the things that fell into place to let that happen. Yeah. And part of that is putting the work in. Part of that is being lucky that you were in the right place at the right time and had everything fall into place. Right. Um, So you don't have to do the most. And does the animal really care? I mean, who are you doing it for? Exactly. What's in the best interest of the animal? And I think that's great because you, you highlighted that we might relax a little more if we weren't so busy trying to get it all in or make it all happen or have the perfect stuff. Animals absolutely bounce off of our energy. So if you're nervous mm-hmm. and scattered and feel inadequate or whatever, that will be part of what your relationship with your animal. So to relax and just, you know, spend some time with your animal, just like same thing with your family, it, it will benefit you in much greater ways than all of the other. So, yeah. Yeah. It does not have to be perfect all the time. Yeah. You don't have to do the most. Frankly, it probably won't be. (laughs) (laughs) People on social media don't want to own that, but that's the truth, right? Correct. So my, uh, my training tip uh, aligns with, you know, a, a client from this week as they usually do. And, uh, sometimes it's questions from the clients, but I hear this all the time. I, they, they offered to give me some dog food because they've changed dog food yet again because their dog mm. did not like the dog food, right? Or yeah. something along those lines. I don't subscribe to that. I, I, <laughs> I subscribe to the, like our parents, like, you know, you're, you're going to eat it or you're going to go hungry kind of thing. And by night yeah. three, you're probably going to eat. So yeah. I'm, I certainly am mindful because we, our animals can't speak to us, but as the steward of the animal, I am not going to allow them to just uh, keep being picky and not, you know, I don't like that. I don't like this. And uh, so I'm watching a dog right now and it's um, a picky eater. And as as the dog was being dropped off, she said, he's a picky eater. And, and I said, and I know the person and great kids and very matter of fact people. And I said, 
So did you do this for your children when they were growing up? Did you just offer them anything, whatever they wanted? And she was like, you're being a brat. <laughs> it was like, because she realized that what she's doing for the dog is different. So, you know, think about that. It's not helping your dog necessarily. Um, yeah, she's eating fine for me, by the way. I just put the food there and said, here it is. And she, I hear her ch- munching over there. But I think we get a little wrapped up in that. I hear it from clients all the time that I got to change food. My dog won't eat it. I was like, yeah, they, they might. And I put a little wet dog food, a little gravy uh, yeah. with a chunk of meat. I like that as opposed mm-hmm. to just the hard, uh, the harder dry, wet stuff. I put a little bit of that on there. And, um, just something to entice them. Yeah. And uh, so, uh, but I, I, if I don't do it, they still eat. They still eat their dry food. So just, just a training tip that just recognize when you're kind of turning back some results to make things happen. You relax, say, here it is. Be matter of fact. They're, they're going to eat. At some point, they're going to eat. Yeah. You know, very, very seldom is the animal I've ever come across that just absolutely refuses. So... There you go. That's a training tip. (laughs) All right, Tommy. Well, thank you as always for joining me in this conversation. And if you're listening, please let us know what your thoughts are. If you're going down this road with the raw diet or if you, whatever your experience is, it would be really interesting and helpful to share that with others. So on our Facebook page, Animal Tales, Heidi Harriet's Animal Tales, let us know. And this is also on YouTube as a video. You get to watch us. So uh, I hope you have enjoyed it. Please share it. Please subscribe and rate and review the podcast. And I hope you'll join Tommy and I next time for more doggone good information.